Talking God with Uncle Luke. This week, necessary evil. Come on in, let's check it out. Luke chapter 23, verse 1. All the Bubba's of the world. We got one mission in mind. Welcome to the Biblical Channel. Always glad somebody's showing up because... Well, we just like people reading their Bible, saying their prayers, getting together and talking about God. That's all God's looking for uh, us to do anyhow. Um, but at the Biblical Channel, we have a little bit of an edge, not much of an edge. We just, we understand humanity. I'm a Bubba and I have a Bible. And so Bubba and Bible come together as biblical. Um, and uh, I suspect everybody else is like that too. Uh, getting God into our lives is just a good thing, man. Um, and and uh, this channel here is just dedicated to helping us ring the chamois of life out to the best that we can to get us from, you know, the, the, the bullshit to the holy shit, and then to talk, start talking to shit. And might I say, cause I think we're all full of shit. I know I was, maybe you weren't. Anyhow, I'm sorry for the swearing for those who have sensitive ears. Um, although today's marketplace of words, I'm not, I'm not sure we're swearing anymore. When I grew up, it was swearing. I would have got slapped in the back of the head, but well, anyhow, that's a different type of different story. We just want everybody to rejoice always, to you know, pray continually, to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will in your life in Christ Jesus. Uncle Paul tells us that. Anyhow, we've have we have a great uh, segment here because it, it it spills just into our world so quickly, and you'll see why in a second. But now. It is time to have Uncle Luke, you know, uh, showcase the next part of the story. And the way that Luke uh, showcases this part of the story, um, it is wrapped up in the trial scene. And we could have went backwards a little bit before this, but we're just going to let it stand as, as it is. Uh, the trial scene uh, in Luke chapter 23, verse 1 to 25, uh, the trial scene of Jesus is, is telling a big fat story that I think will bring comfort to our lives. And, and, uh, if we see it right, we'll, we'll come away saying, Oh man, that is good. Uncle Luke could tell a story. That's for sure. But don't forget that uncle Luke is just telling the story that Jesus told. He knows that Jesus is the ultimate storyteller because God is the ultimate storyteller. And God knows that we need story in our life. We build our whole lives on story. And so that's what we need to pick up on is what is the angle of the story. And so we have Jesus now brought, you know, before the, uh, the, 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 the judicial realm, Jesus is now, and Jesus already said, are you kidding me? Uh, if you didn't check out last week's talk, check that out because you know, it's, it's, it's great. It, Jesus basically says, are you kidding me? I've been talking out loud and in public for, you know, weeks, months, years, whatever the case might be. I've said nothing different, but now all of a sudden you got a problem. But we know why, and again, go backwards. But uh, now Jesus is brought, uh, the whole company brings Jesus to uh, accuse him, and they bring him before Pilate, who is the Roman governor. And uh, we all know that that is, um, you know, a real dude in, in real history. And, and, and their accusation of Jesus is, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he, he himself is Christ the King. Ah, okay. So Pilate answers back and says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, well, you said so. Pilate says to the chief priests in the crowds, I don't find any guilt in this man. 
but they were urgent. And they said, no, 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 no. He stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea and Galilee, even to this place. Pilate hears this, and he asks whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, uh, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. Convenient. That's nice. So when Herod saw Jesus, so now Jesus is before Herod. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. And uh, then they arrayed him in splendid, splendid clothing, dressed him up like a king, uh, and sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate became great friends, we are told, uh, with each other that very day. Before this, they really had been at enmity with one another. Interesting. But then the scene continues uh, back to, whoops, lost my, okay. So, so back, you know, to Pilate and uh, Pilate, you know, calls all the chief priests and the rulers and the people together. And he said, you brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. And after examining him before you, I didn't find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod. He sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has uh, been done deserving him. I will therefore punish him and release him. How's that? Well, the crowd cries out, away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time he comes out and he says, why? What evil has he done? I have found him no, I've found no guilt in him deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. He says again, but they were urgent and they, they demanded with loud cries that he should be crucified and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been in prison uh, for an insurrection and murder for whom they had asked for, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Okay, there's our passage. So what is on view here may not uh, be what we think it is, but once we think about it, all we are looking at in the words of Bullet Tooth Tony, uh, if you've ever seen the movie Snatch. But anyhow, Bullet Tooth Tony says, we're just looking at the predictability of stupidity. That's right. Um, we're looking at the fact um, that the founders of this country said that uh, government is, and, and there was plenty of people who said it beforehand, that government is nothing but a necessary evil. What we're really looking at here is the government of Rome and the government of Israel led by Herod who's an idiot. We already know he's an idiot. Um, and, and now Pilate jumps in and we don't see much better. Um, at the end of the day, uh, this is the court system that we're looking at, the court system that is run by the government. Um, and, and we see the absolute hilarity or sadness, however you want to look at it. I think if Jesus was uh, telling the story, he would say, laugh, go ahead, take a laugh at the right thing. 
and the right thing to laugh at is the governments, the governments that are involved. And this is the message of the Bible consistently from beginning to end, that governments really can't be trusted. Why? Governments are just a necessary evil. Why? Mob rule usually wins. Why? Rome's government is failing here. Israel's government is failing here. The judicial system is failing here. Why? Well, because it's man-made. All government is man-made. The Bible makes this abundantly clear from beginning to end. And God has nothing to do. Now, this might surprise you. God has nothing to do with government. He even says, I have nothing to do with government. This is your deal. It is a necessary evil for us. Government is necessary. But government, because it's man-made, always ends up in the evil category. Why? Because it's man-made. And that is what is on full view here. Forget Jesus for just a moment and see what the text is all about. It is about, you know, Pilate, who is representing Rome. He's the governor of the territory. And it's about Herod, who is truly the king of Israel at the time, or one of the, you know, ruling figures of uh, of the territory of Israel. Really, Rome is in control. Um, and we see that, that these, well, at times it looks like these guys are concerned about justice, right? Because Pilate, Pilate does, it looks like his best to say, this guy is not guilty of what you are charging him with, that you are trumping up the charges, pardon the word Trump, but anyhow, you're trumping up those charges, man. And this, this is not right. Pilate seems like he's on track to doing the right thing. But at the end, at the end, what does he do? He succumbs to the mob who is yelling and screaming. This is what governments do. Governments ultimately succumb to those who are yelling and screaming the loudest. Why? Because the government of man just wants uh, to rule man and for man to hush up and, and obey. That's all government really wants, but it wants more than that. And we know that. And so, yes, God says that we should obey government, but not because he endorses it, but because he knows that it will kill you if you don't obey it. So God is saying, Number one, with Jesus, the big surprise is that Jesus is the Christ of Israel. He is the king of Israel, but he hasn't even said so. In fact, that's the uh, kind of humor is, is that Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, well, you say so. And even, even Herod, who is king of the Jews or one of the kings of the Jews, says, well, you know, you're, you're, you know, are you the king? That you, it, again, Jesus just says, yeah, I got nothing to say. But Jesus has not proclaimed this. Jesus has not what ran, ran around the countryside saying that I am the king of Israel. He hasn't even run around the countryside saying that I am God. What has Jesus been doing? He's been teaching the old part of the Bible well. He has been teaching what message the old part of the Bible should have been picked up on. He is teaching that he is the fulfillment of the old part of the Bible. He is teaching that he is carrying out the plan of God. And he has definitely insinuated, let the reader understand, those with ears have, you know, let them hear, that kind of stuff. 
that he really is God. And that becomes an amazing part of the story. But you got to see the reality of the story. And the reality of the story is that Herod is a silly, silly man because he's very glad to see Jesus. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to see Jesus, too. I want him to do one of the miracles for me. And that's another thing. What has Jesus been doing? Miracles. You know, he has been healing people. He has been doing extraordinary things. Don't know. Set aside all of your hurts and hangups on the biblical miracles and realize that Jesus has been doing nothing but helping people and teaching people what the old part of the Bible says. That's all he does. And what's he being accused of? He's being accused of, of uh, uh, he's being accused of, of raising up, um, you know, uh, 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 you know, an insurrection. But that's the one thing that Jesus keeps saying, I am not going to do. And that's the one thing that everybody around Jesus wants him to do. Everybody around Jesus who has been following him, including Peter, including Judas, including the 12, including all of the disciples, they expect him to rise up and attack the government of Rome, you know, attack all bad governments. That's what they expect him to do because they expect that being the Christ is that he is like David. And David kicked butt, buddy. David, we all know David kicked butt in the old part of the Bible. So we want, you know, everybody seems to want Jesus to kick butt. And his accusers are saying, oh, he's just an insurrectionist. What becomes humorous is at the end of all of this, they they let go in Jesus' place a real insurrectionist who was actually, uh, we assume, we assume was convicted of insurrection and murder. Um, nobody seems to be disagreeing that uh, Barabbas actually did do those things. Um, but who can trust the courts? I don't know. Maybe Barabbas was also unrightfully charged. But but they, they but that's the humor in it, is that a real insurrectionist who really does murder is actually let go. Jesus, who made it very clear to his apostles, his disciples, his gang, and his, his audiences that he was not here to encourage violence. And so the word of God standing right there in front of everybody has made it very clear that he is not here to topple governments. And any kind of toppling governments in Christian in, in the name of Jesus Christ that has gone on afterwards is never correct. Never correct. Never. The endorsement of God is never on those who are, you know, killing people in the name of God. God does not step into this. God does not, you know, even though, you know, plenty of scriptural passages will tell Christians that they ought to obey government. It's not because God endorses those governments. It's because the government is going to kill you if you don't. So God's just looking out for our best interest. And he's also looking out for us as people to be of people of good standing in the community. And so, you know, that is an important part of Christianity. But at the same time, the divine right of kings is not God's thing. That's a man thing. Man has developed this idea of the divine right of kings. Go back to the pharaohs, you know, go back to, well, the basic, it, you know, to the Caesar of Rome. They all said very clearly that they are part God. Well, here you have the real man, Jesus Christ, who actually is God. And that's also part of the, the wonderful uh, paradox in all of this. But the man, Jesus Christ, who is actually God, 
is not picking up a sword and he is not encouraging anybody to topple their government. But he's certainly not asking you to trust government. No, 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 no. The Bible stands alone in telling people that governments will never be able to be trusted because, because it's man-made. And think about the, the reality of Christianity today. The reality of Christianity today is that Christianity is on hard times. We are no longer in the driver's seat, per se. In fact, it, you know, many people are embarrassed if you go around saying that you're a Christian. Why? Well, because Christianity is, 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 is simply you know, seen as man-made, uh, just another man-made religion, we are told, and, and lumped into the basket of things man-made and therefore it can't be trusted. Well, if that is true, then certainly government is man-made, especially from an atheistic point of view, right? If there is no God, then governments are man-made. And it's the Bible who has this lone voice in the wilderness saying that the governments of man can never, ever be trusted. The predictability of stupidity, the unnecessary evil that government is, is just what it is. It's something that man creates and inevitably, inevitably it, it goes bad. So, so the other interesting part of this, uh, this segment to me is, is that it is actually history. There is a man of history named Herod. There is a man of history named Pilate. We have all the verification from historical scholars in the world that you know attest to the fact that these people existed. Never in the history of begin, you know, Christianity's beginning did anybody rise up and say, "Well, you know, this is a completely made-up story." Nobody said Jesus didn't exist. You can find Jesus' name actually in Roman records, you know, uh, here and there mentioned later on, you know, uh, talking about Jesus. Nobody's saying, "Well, this mythological Jesus figure people have made up." Nobody says that. But the times that we live in are pretty interesting because history is out the window. I know that because I taught history for 12 years in the public school system. And I'm telling you, nobody likes history anymore. Nobody likes philosophy anymore. Nobody likes theology anymore, which tells me nobody likes to think anymore. That's our world. And our world is growing, you know, ever more, well, like this passage, you know, where, where you know, you have Pilate who seems to be concerned about justice, but tries to avoid the subject by giving it to Herod. Herod, you know, appears to be concerned about justice because Herod does not convict Jesus. Um, he's just disappointed with Jesus because Jesus doesn't answer his questions and Jesus doesn't perform a miracle for him, you know, and so Herod's just like, go oh, fine, we'll, we'll beat you up and we'll dress you up in king's clothes and we'll send you back to Pilate. And then when Pilate finally gets him back, he's like, I don't want to deal with this. But the crowds and the mobs insist that he do. And, 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 and ultimately, Pilate does what bad government does, and that is just goes along with the rule of the mob. Does this sound like our times to you? Does it, you know, as you look at the things going on in the news, does it seem like our judicial system is really concerned about justice? It seems to me like our judicial system is more concerned about politics than law. 
used to be that, you know, the judge, whether it was a man or a woman, was absolutely concerned about the law and the law alone, <laughs> even if they disagreed with the law. These days, not true. Uh, the, the judges that are making decisions are more concerned about politics and mob rule than they are anything else. And in our own political leaders, well, let's just face it. We know that things are getting worse. Our government, as it grows, I love the United States of America. I love the ideas that built this country. The ideas that built this country were clear in the founding framers' minds. And that is that government is an unnecessary evil. Or I'm sorry, government is a necessary evil. They didn't think of government as you know, the be-all to the end-all. They wanted government to do its minimum, to do the minimal work. And they established a constitution and the Declaration of Independence to make it very clear that government needs to be minimized so that mankind can be maximized. And we have seen a wonderful turn in history uh, for the better in the last 200 years. Humanity has, has improved leaps and bounds the more free humanity gets. But the interesting thing about our times is that governments are growing in their power and in their force. And as governments grow in their power and in their force, we see the same thing here, that they become more and more concerned about a mob rule rather than the majority rule or the voice of the people. So I don't think that democracy or the United States government is perfect by any means, but it's the best that we can do. I love that old phrase that uh, I think Churchill was given credit for, but I imagine somebody said it before he did. But democracy is, is the worst form of government except for all the others. And I know we uh, live in a, a um, democratic republic, um, you know, of representatives, and that's all good stuff. That's all good stuff. But the reality of people today is that they seem to be very content with giving more and more power to government. When the founding framers of this country said, no, 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 you know, governments should actually have less, the least amount of power possible. The Constitution was designed to actually contain the monster of a federal government. State governments were actually, uh, you know, supposed to hold more power over, you know, in our lives than Federal governments, the whole idea of, of government in the Constitution and in the Declaration of Independence is that government is man-made, and so therefore it needs to be, well, in control of the people. The people need to be able to control it. Does it feel like the people control government these days? Well, it does feel like some people control it, but not the majority of people. The majority of people that I know do not, you know, seem seemingly, you know, agree with much of what goes on in government. And I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. It's no, but, but the side of the aisle that I'm on and the side of the aisle that God is on is his own. God himself. So let's switch the scene over. The, the big glaring, you know, gorilla in the storyline is, is the, the failure of government, the stupidity of government and how it oftentimes works. Let us not forget that Rome was a dictatorship, you know, and so that's what dictators, you know, dictatorships actually do. They inflict power and they use a mob to justify the power that they have. And, and, and there is no government. There has never been a government, you know, in the world that God has endorsed and said, well, this is a good government. Even Israel's government, 
God very clearly warned Israel ahead of time, saying, this will fail. This is not going to go well. Because you want a king, because you want a powerful government like other nations have, this will fail. So what does God govern? The family. That's what God governs. God's government is just the family. He will govern from the family always. Well, anyhow, so the other side of this is that Jesus is in the middle. He is at center stage. And, and because we know by now that Jesus is God in the storyline, we see another remarkable feature here, and that is the, the remarkable nature of God as revealed in the Bible and the Bible alone, and that is that God endures our stupidity. That's right. God saves us, and he factors in our own stupidity when he saves us. God endures the stupidity of human beings. Our governments are nothing more than a stupidity, an unnecessary evil for us managing ourselves. We're not good judges. We, we don't understand good and evil, you know, applied fairly. <clears throat> and the last thing that we should do in this scene is pity Jesus. Jesus is not concerned about his lumps that he's going to take. Jesus is not concerned about tr being treated poorly because God is intentionally enduring our stupidity for one reason, to show us that he can be trusted, to show us that we should run to God when we see the stupidity of everything that is man-made. We should run to God because he can be fully trusted. And at the end of it all, only God is the one saying that our evils are actually not a necessity, but that in order for our evils to not be necessary, we're going to need God to intervene. And that is the message of the story of Jesus Christ. That is the message of the story of the Bible once and for all, that unnecessary evil is going to exist. But there will come a day when God will deal with all of the unnecessary evil once and for all, and he will deal with it in the person of Jesus Christ, the one who endured our stupidity, who is going to die at a, an unjust judicial system led by an, uh, another unjust government, and that the reality is that God has this remarkable patience with us, that he loves us despite ourselves, despite what we do. And, and I, I, I can't help but to think of the prophet Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, who says, What does the Lord require of us, O man, but to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God? Clearly, this passage um, reveals that nobody seems to have Micah chapter 6, verse 8 undermines. And today, the marketplace of humanity that we live in, well, it also doesn't seem to have Micah chapter 6, verse 8 in its mind as well. Our judicial systems, our institutions seem to be absolutely obscurely based on mob rule, just like we see going on around Jesus Christ, who unbelievably unbelievably endures our stupidity. Now, to show the world that he is, well, capable and can be trusted, he will be rising again, saying that our stupidity does not hold God down. Our evils does not hold 
God down. And that's why we should run to God and the storyline of Jesus Christ. And that's what I got for you today. Love you. Thanks for showing up. Catch you next time. Thank you.